Okay, and we are live. This is the 21st ep- uh, episode of Absolute AppSec. Uh, I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter and uh, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back once again. A couple of them this week, so happy to have you if you're here or listening later. Yeah, our second episode this week, and today, this afternoon, we are joined by our special guest, Alex Smolin. Thank you for coming on. Alex, can you say hi, everyone? Hey, everyone. How's it going? My name's Alex. Um, at Al Smola, Twitter and GitHub. Yeah, and we're going to post links to Alex's website, Twitter, and GitHub um, in the show. We've got some other links uh, regarding some of Alex's work that we're going to we're going to dump into to Slack as well as YouTube as we uh, as we go. And uh, just to briefly introduce Alex, he um, so he currently works at Clever, and that is a uh, technology startup in San Francisco. It brings uh, SSO to K twelve classrooms. Um, he's uh, an engineer, uh, sorry, engineering manager for the infrastructure and security teams there. Uh, prior to Clever, he, uh, I like the description you used, Alex, you, uh, what was it? You protected the bird or? Yeah, defending the bird, protecting the bird. There was a lot of like bird analogies and themes that that, that uh, we used. And I'm kind of glad that they're no longer part of my vocabulary. <laughs> well, I mean, you did a good job. Uh, you, I know Neil and, and uh, Neil and Justin um, worked for you, I believe, on the on the the team there at Twitter. Yeah, we worked together. I think none of us wanted to be manager. Uh, none of us drew the short straw, you know, and, and had to manage the team. Uh, so yeah, we we worked closely, and we knew each other before that. As a matter of fact, I'm the one who kind of convinced them to to join me up there on the on the security team. And um, yeah, uh, you know, miss those days when we all work together, but we still keep in touch. Yeah, definitely a stellar team. If, uh, if 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 I was gonna if I was gonna build a team, especially to uh, secure like uh, uh, Ruby on Rails stacks as well, um, great team. So uh, I know you worked at Foundstone as well. Uh, you did consultants consultant work there. Yeah, that's right. I uh, did application security consulting, so uh, secure code review, uh, web application penetration testing threat modeling, and also I was our social engineering service line lead. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's... Usually, yeah, usually you don't cross those two over too much, right? You know, the social engineers, you know, the developers don't really get out. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, as good I, as that. I, I think, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I, I, I guess I, I was in enough, uh, you know, my high school uh, uh, plays or something like that where I thought, Hey, this sounds like something I could do, and um, you know, without a, a, a ton of training, I, you know, I sort of taught myself about the different techniques that people use to achieve uh, various goals uh, when, when uh, you know, doing social engineering, and um, it was a lot of fun. I, uh, you know, spent time uh, trying to, uh, you know, break into various different buildings, and um, you know call up people and ask them for their passwords and send out phishing email campaigns. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, a fascinating way to sort of spend your time thinking about how you can, uh, you know, trick people into getting them to do what you want. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's, I mean, that's, that's cool. I mean, it, it, obviously it's become more of a kind of like a siloed business or a, you know, a different business line for most consulting companies. Um, like when Ken and I were at Fishnet, like it was always kind of the penetration testing team or the network pen team that would do that as a, you know, as an add on. But I see firms now that specialize in social engineering, right? Um, I mean, obviously you got your, your phishing companies that do that, but it, and that's just pretty interesting. So um, how long did you spend at Foundstone? Like how long were you a consultant there doing AppSec stuff? Uh, I was there from, uh, I think something like 2006 to 2009, so about three years. And okay. uh, yeah, uh, took, a, took a short break uh, to kind of work on a, a startup uh, that uh, never actually panned out. But uh, yeah, all, all told three years uh, in, the, in the consulting arena. That's not too bad. I mean, that that's enough of an introduction to all things consulting. Um, I know I was talking with Neil about it because, uh, you know, you worked with Neil when he came on to Fishnet, but I think he only ended up staying like four months. He noped out of the consulting role pretty quick and back into the industry. Um, but, yeah, it's yeah. not for everyone. Uh, I think no. that you have to have a certain uh, mindset to appreciate sort of solving uh, a bunch of different problems for people. And then, you know, the next week you are sort of back to square one. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, really amazing things that I learned while I was consulting. Um, you're able to see such, you know, especially when you're, you know, doing something like threat modeling and you're talking to organizations that have, you know, software teams that are hundreds or thousands of people. Um, you see things and and you learn in this very compressed time frame uh, about the you know just all the different ways that software gets built in the real world. Yeah, I I mean yeah I would definitely agree with that. Right. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes it feels like the square one, but you definitely get a wide exposure to different technologies, different ways that people are approaching it. Usually the bigger companies are the ones that can afford to bring in consultants. So you are seeing large networks, large applications, uh, but that's not always, you know, it's not always the case, but it usually is. Um, so, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like you've wandered a little bit from your AppSec days at Foundstone, you know, since then you've been doing, you know, infrastructure security as well. Um, what what do you feel like is your sweet spot? What, what is it that you enjoy doing the most? Um, just kind of give us a, you know, a rundown on that. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, when I, when I think about like what my, my personal mission is uh, with respect to security, uh, I think that, you know, security is the cause of a lot of suffering in our world from. Oh, no, I think we lost Alex. We oh, just no. lost him. Yeah. Uh oh, <laughs> okay, vamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so oh, oh, he's back. Okay. Um, you know, that's, I think, something that we're all pretty intimately familiar with in the community, people who are practitioners and, and think about these problems every day. I think the, the part of uh, my mission that is, is maybe a little bit uh, sort of, um, 
you know, uncommon, or, or at least I, I like to remind people that this is really important in our day-to-day -day work, is, you know, the suffering that, um, you know, the protective measures that we build can sometimes cause as sort of a side effect. And so, you know, to me, it's really important to always think about, uh, you know, sort of the, the broader picture of, of what it means to uh, implement security in a system and, um, you know, to think about the human factors, uh, to think about, um, you know, the, the, the implications of, of what we build and, um, you know, to not sort of uh, only view one side of the trade-offs that we make when we build security mechanisms into systems. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen your your work and watched your talks, and you're, you you always what I like is that you, you always have like empathy focused or based solutions for securing, um, like for instance with AWS, like part of your talk at local MocoSec, which I'll go ahead and link. Um, you gave like a nice, you know, here's my concern about keys being stored all over the machine. And then here are some pretty neat solutions that are like low friction to to deal with that. Um, that seems to be like just what I've caught from. That seems to be your focus. I don't know if that's an accurate way to describe it. If you would think of, if you would describe yourself like that. Yeah. Uh, what I tried to do with that talk at Loco Moco Sack uh, was. Um, you know, talk about the fact that identity and access management um, is this is this field of engineering that is designed around stopping people from doing things, and if those systems aren't designed carefully, they end up uh, maybe leading to a secure system, but maybe also leading to a system that people find painful to use, that is inefficient. Um, and you know, my belief is that you can find these optimums in the trade-off between the way that a system is designed with respect to um, you know, making it usable and, and making it uh, sort of robust to user confusion and, and things like that. And, and also having it you know, protect against real threats in the world. And, uh, so, for example, you know, with um, the, the part of my talk where I talked about uh, AWS access keys, uh, I think that there are tools you can use to make access keys harder to steal. But those tools, if not configured correctly, can also make it hard to develop and lead to confusion. And so what's the right way to pick from sort of each side of, 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 of the equation and find the best approach? And, and, and I tried to describe what I thought was, uh, you know, sort of a, a configuration that, that, that had this, this optimum balance of, of security and usability. Yeah, and I did uh, post the, the, uh, the link to your talk um, and I think the, I think the solutions described, uh, the one you're talking about, about halfway through the talk, but don't skip through. You want to see the whole thing. It's a great, I loved all the Terminator references in that talk. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was a really, you know, I, I look back on, uh, why I decided to like 
make the talk ha half about the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, and if you haven't seen the talk, you probably are like scratching your head and wondering why that would even be the case or how that would even work. I think uh, I, I wanted to make something that was primarily uh, like entertaining, I, I suppose. Uh, you know, the, I, I really think that when you go to a conference, uh, you see so many talks in a row that it's it's very easy to to get lost in sort of this like technical detail that someone you know is is super super passionate about but like after hearing about someone's super passionate technical detail for you know eight different talks in a row uh it all starts to blend together so i wanted to figure out a way to kind of like uh you know be a little bit uh i guess like zany you know like just sort of not necessarily uh, focus only on the technical challenges, but also think about sort of like some of the the kind of like bigger, uh, um, yeah, like metaphors uh, that I've found entertaining personally when thinking about security. So, so yeah, I guess you'll have to see it to really get it. Hopefully, it hangs together. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah, no, I mean the imagery and the uh, and the metaphors really tie in well in that talk and do make it stick at least for me. So I think mission accomplished there. Um, so I was going to ask you because one thing we 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 always like to ask folks uh, who join this podcast, but uh, uh, we we're just getting to it a little bit later in the show was um, I mean we talked about places you've worked. Um, you know, we know you've gotten a, a master's degree from uh, from Berkeley. Uh, you you know. You've done some some really great things, um, but what I, I or not but but and I uh, I'm curious and Seth's curious. We're all curious. What for for one? What got you kind of thinking about security? What got you into the security space? Um, and then just kind of expanding from there on your origin story because everybody seems to have a different path to what you know infosec or whatever you want to call it. So um, yeah. Can you please tell us about yours? Yeah. I, uh, I, I started programming uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I remember like sitting in the public library and uh, reading a book about uh, basic the programming language and like typing the commands into the computer at home and you know, writing like screensavers in high school and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't until I graduated uh, and I had my first job as a software engineer that I, uh, you know, thought about having a, a professional career in, in security. And, and the way that it happened was I, my first job out of college was uh, at a company that built software testing tools. So, uh, you know, things that would like look at your Java code and automatically write unit tests for it. Um, and one of the things that they were hearing in the market that people wanted was not just quality, but they also wanted to verify the security of their software. And none of the products did that. And the CEO of the company uh, was this pretty eccentric dude who, uh, like came up to me, this you know lowly engineer who had just come out of college, and sort of pointed at me and said, "You're in charge of this. Figure it out." And uh, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of weird to, to think that that's, that's really where it started. But I, um, you know, I, I was really interested in, in what at the time was this burgeoning field of application security. Uh, you know, this was around, yeah, 2005. And I was learning about application security online and thinking about what different problems we could find in code. And, uh, you know, I, I ran across the OWASP website. Um, you know, and, and some of the early projects like WebGoad and, and WebScarab and these, um, you know, projects that kind of like demonstrated sort of the, the, the top 10 of, of the day. And, you know, it really fascinated me to, to think that, you know, all this stuff was out there and that there was this knowledge that just not everyone had. And, you know, that we could, um, you know, not only sort of demonstrate our power by like making these unexpected things happen, uh, but also then, you know, safely show people the way to, uh, you know, to, 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 to being enlightened and, and to, to understanding how to protect themselves. Um, so I started to, you know, interact with the community, uh, specifically around OWASP. And, uh, you know, in that day, uh, an age that was the OWASP Orange County chapter, and also the OWASP Los Angeles chapter, I think they've combined uh, into like a SoCal chapter, but, um, you know, and that's actually how I met uh, Neil and, and Justin uh, back in the day was, was you know, through that OWASP uh, chapter. And I also met some other people who were, you know, uh, influential in my career. And, and uh, one of them hired me on to, to work at Boundstone, um, you know, even though I had, you know, only a couple years of security experience, uh, you know, I, I went on to kind of do this application security consulting and, and that's uh, what led me to where I am today. You know, it's funny because when, uh, when we talk about, you know, how to, how to kind of break into security, if that's your interest, um, I, you know, we talk about going to conferences, going to meetups, um, you know, inexpensive conferences, obviously, you know, not, not something that's super pricey, but, um, but yeah, like uh, meetups and just networking, makes such a, um, just makes such a big difference when it, when it comes to uh, breaking into the field, just knowing somebody. And I, I do feel like, you know, I don't know, <clears throat> good folks such as yourself and, you know, everybody starts to connect and those relationships last. And it's kind of like, you know, you're saying you brought Neil and Justin into Twitter, you know, it, it just keeps swapping back and forth. It seems like that throughout your security career. You just, if somebody's dependable, you bring that, you try to bring them in, you know? Yeah. Now that, uh, you know, GitHub is, uh, acquired by Microsoft and survey monkeys going public. I wish they'd bring me over there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or something. So it, it's a little late to those bandwagons, right? You want it before they announced <laughs> you, you'd hope that people like Ken would say something, but no, no, you know, all that insider knowledge, it just never seems to translate. Right? Hey, I found out through, uh, through, through Twitter <laughs> the same way we did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so yeah, that's, you know, that it sounds like, well, first of all, it's funny to think that back then somebody just dumped, like dumped security. Like that's just a, you know, they just said, Oh, it's like a side thing, you know, now it being what it is, it, it cracks me up that like, what, what, I mean, if you don't want to date yourself, I understand, but how roughly, you know, far back was that? 
So that would have been, yeah, like 2005, 2006. And, and that will date me a bit, but I also feel like a little bit of cred, I guess, just because, um, you know, so many of the challenges back then are the, the same as, as the challenges are now. Um, you know, there were very early uh, tools for doing dynamic scanning and, and for static analysis. And, um, you know, people were, uh, you know, aware of, of like, you know, threat modeling concepts and secure software development lifecycle concepts. Um, you know, none of those things were as well understood by as many people and as uh, comprehensive or sophisticated. But, you know, ultimately, so many of our challenges continue to be the same. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, layer upon layer, we're getting better at, at you know, doing things like making sure that you know, you have an SSL connection with the right cert or that you don't have a, you know, cross-site scripting uh, problem in your code. Uh, you know, but um, in, in, in general, it's, I think that, uh, you know, to see things, you know, kind of continue and, and to understand that, uh, you know, the, the best indicator of what we're going to see next is just what we've seen before, but just kind of like the next iteration of it. Um, you know, that's been kind of satisfying to me to, to see throughout uh, these years. Yeah, that's, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, both Ken and I probably came up around the same time, maybe me a little bit earlier, but um, the, I mean, the whole iteration, you know, I, I'm really interested this initial period, that this couple of years that you spent, you know, actually developing something into a QA tool, right? Like I've always said, coming from a development background, I feel like security is just a bunch of glorified, you know, QA testers, especially on the application security side, right? Um, and so like, like it, was that a product that ever got released or anything like that? I mean, is it something that you, you can talk about or is it, you know, should we just leave it and move on? No, uh, it we sold it. Uh, it was sort of like an extension to our existing tools. And, you know, there's a funny story about we, so there was this tool that we had um, that would allow you to sort of record web browser interactions and replay them to okay. sort of verify functional tests. And what I did is I built uh, sort of extension to that that would like at various points when it saw like a form during these interactions, it would start throwing, you know, single quotes and all sorts of garbage there to see if it could identify anything in the response that suggested that, uh, you know, there was a, a vulnerability in, in the application. And uh, this was, you know, some Java app, single threaded, uh, you know, I'd gotten these lists of attack strings from who knows where on the internet and, you know, sort of shaped them to whatever I thought made sense. And, you know, it was my first business trip. We flew out to Jersey City. I was with a salesman at the time. And we went to this uh, insurance company that uh, I was told had like the second largest database on the East Coast or something. And they wanted to test an application that connected to it. And so they set me up in a cubicle and I was wearing a tie because you had to wear a tie. And uh, I kind of click start on this tool and uh, I watched it run. I saw some like exceptions popping up, some like 500 errors. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. 
And then all of a sudden my phone rang or like the desk phone rang. And it was my point of contact there. And it's like, whatever you're doing, stop it right now. <laughs> and uh, apparently uh, it had been generating enough stack traces that like the, um, the logging system had sort of started to overflow and it was slowing down everyone else's traffic around this really mission critical database. And um, I was scared to death. I was just still a young buck at the time and, and you know, didn't necessarily understand like that I wasn't going to get reprimanded or anything. But when I, I got back, my CEO was so happy. He's like, they're scared shitless. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't appreciate at the time what an awesome thing you just did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no SQL injection. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was just, you know, they had, you know, bad air handling and, and, you know, unstable software, but whatever it was, it, it worked. And, you know, so yeah. Um, I think that those things have evolved and are still part of some product line somewhere, but it's been many years. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I've, I learned, you know, during that era, uh, a great deal of respect for people who go about building, you know, scanning tools or, or static analysis tools. It is, it is a very, very difficult, difficult task. And it is so difficult, in fact, that I have very little trust in these products in general and, and, and tend not to, to recommend them to, to people when they ask. So, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just it, right? You know, we start talking about automated analysis and false positives and how often the tool output is, still has to be manually verified, right? Like, and you, you especially learn that as a consultant because you've got to defend any finding that you put in front of somebody. And it's very easy to just take that report and dump it straight to a, you know, your format and give to a client. And at that point they come back and say, oh, well, I'm not seeing that same behavior, right? So defending something that you aren't sure is 100% of vulnerability becomes a difficult thing to do. Um, I don't know, I, like, you know, you, the days that you're talking about initially being a consultant, you know, is, is some of those static analysis tools were really, that was kind of, you know, starting as they were ramping up, right? Your Fortifies, your uh, Ounce Labs or whatever it was at the time. Mm -hmm. um, now the App, AppScan Source and even some of the other ones that are still out there. Um, but initially that was it, right? Uh, PCI came out, right? I, I'm sure you remember this and everybody's like, oh, you have to do static analysis or, uh, you know, a dynamic test of your application. Um, but that check that compliance checkbox did not did not equate to security, right? N not not even close. Um, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I I just think it's interesting that to hear you like have been on that side of actually trying to build those things. Because every once in a while we we seem to step back and you know think, oh well, we could just build this into a scanner really quick and don't realize the effort that goes into it, right? I don't know why every couple of years you get that bug and then you realize, oh, this is why I haven't done this. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah. two days into it, like idealism in that, like you could, you know, build something that will find every problem. Um, and I think, you know, you, you, as soon as you are like, okay, that's a terrible idea, uh, and you sort of start from scratch, and you're like, well, maybe there's certain things we can automate, you know, and 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 then, you know, like you you build some tooling to just find a very very simple class of problems and. And I think to me, like that's, uh, you know, super valuable. And I think that you see a lot of um, people who 
you know, work in the software security space, you know, think about how to, uh, you know, build or take some of the things that we've learned kind of from like the, uh, you know, like the way that people have, have evolved towards, you know, continuous delivery and like, you know, delivering sort of stable, robust software from a quality perspective. And like some of that same stuff makes sense for software uh, and, and software security. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be really difficult to translate that into a product uh, because every organization develops software so differently. And your incentive when you create a security product is to show as many things wrong as you can. And, you know, I think that you can, there's, there's just an incentive to, to not accurately portray the risk and to not even be able to portray the risk effectively because the context of every organization is different. What is meaningful to one organization might not be meaningful to another. And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of, of products, uh, not because I think that the people who design and build and market them don't know what they're doing, but just because I know that it's a, a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, and I mean, Ted, to what you're saying, some of the, the sh like, the, the teams that I've either seen, talked to, or been a part of that I would consider to be full of, you know, really, really competent, like AppSec folks who um, are doing some really cool things are not, if, if there is a scanner involved, it's like, it's already been fine tuned and customized to begin with by that team, but it's one of many tools and it's certainly not the at all a very important piece of the the day-to-day -day workflow. Um, it actually is like becomes a, a pretty minor aspect of all of the thi all of the things defense from a you know defensive perspective that you actually care about. So um, you know, meaning like more important things are, might be uh, you know asset management or um, being uh, having a flow for important or sensitive like pull requests or code changes, you know, various things like that you could think of that just don't necessarily, necessarily not like a, uh, sc scanning is not a crutch. It's not something that uh, is all as important as you would think, at least I did before I did the defensive side. From the offensive side, offensive side of things, obviously scanners play a big part of like our day-to-day -day workflow. I mean, and obviously automated automation, sorry, Manual testing is a big part of that, but you have to have, you have to do your, your due diligence using automated tools. So I don't know, I apologize, I'm going off on a tangent there, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, I've never found them to be like super useful as well for what it's worth. So on the line of tools though, or, you know, along the long lines of tools, um, and I know it's a weird transition, but I did want to ask about uh, CloudTrail Daily, and let me post the link to it in chat. But uh, um, I did want to ask you to to tell people more about uh, that tool that you're working on. Sure. Um, so uh, Clever is uh, based or uses AWS, and um, I've learned a lot about how AWS works and, and how to think about securing it. And the talk that I gave at LocoMocoSec was focused on three different uh, projects that I wrote about. 
that relate to AWS IAM or Identity and Access Management. And um, one of the things I talked about was uh, CloudTrail logs. And if you're not familiar with CloudTrail, it's one of the AWS services, one of the many that start with cloud, you know, terrible naming, but uh, CloudTrail is the uh, sort of audit log for who did what in your AWS environment. And um, by default, those logs are delivered to CloudWatch, so another cloud service. Lots of clouds. Yeah. Uh, and you know, most people will then ship them out to some sort of system, whether it's Splunk or their own Elk stack or you know, uh, various different ways of managing sort of like security-related logs. Um, and you know, be able to alert on them and, and sort of have their own proprietary way of, of dealing with them. And I've I've been really interested in like what's the best way to to make sense of these logs because I think that they're um, you know really important for understanding like what's going on in your environment, both from the perspective of finding indicators of compromise, but also from the perspective of making sure that your services have least privilege, that users have least privilege, and that just like no one's doing anything weird. Like did you know, someone decide to start using a new service in a new region and like, you're like, no, don't do that. Like, just the insight that it gives you is, uh, I think, really, really important. And I don't think that there uh, were good enough tools that allowed you to understand, in summary, what was going on in your AWS account. And so, um, the, the inspiration behind this CloudTrail Daily tool, which is still a bit of a work in progress, but uh, it sort of, it, it, you know, it, it works. I have ideas for extensions, but it works, is that, um, you know, every day you have a group of subjects uh, that access your AWS account. And when I say subjects, that could be either users or roles or federated users, um, but basically like some sort of identity uh, of uh, something that is accessing your AWS account. And then for each of those, um, they access different services, S3, Dynamo, EC2, uh, all the sort of cloud star, you know, uh, uh, AWS services. And then for each of those different services, there's a set of actions um, that they can be taking. Um, so maybe they're, you know, creating tables or maybe they're, you know, reading network interfaces or, you know, just all the different sort of uh, actions in the IAM permission model. and and what I thought is that you know this this these cloud trail files, um, you know you can forward them to, to S3, and they they just sort of sit there as these big blobs of JSON. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if you could just summarize them? And so this tool is just a command line tool built in Go that sort of uh, downloads your cloud trail files from S3, parses them to find like, you know if if there's duplicates, it's like just sort of consolidates them. And it also parses out, like, is this a role? Is this a federated user? Like, like who is this? And kind of groups everything together. So that you can see at a glance who access what. Um, and so you just kind of pass in an account number, a date, and it gives you this summary. Um, I think this is really cool because it, to me, gives you the building blocks to start to ask interesting questions like, hey, like, what did people access today that they didn't access yesterday? Um, 
or you know, uh, for this particular role, um, you know, who assumed this role and what did they do when they assumed it? Uh, I think that answering those questions is is doable in like Splunk or or any of these other tools. But you know, my hope is that uh, you can kind of like cut out a lot of the cost and expense of maintaining an Elasticsearch cluster uh, and and having to sort of run these queries manually. Um, you know, and and I thought that it would be a good way for people to who are kind of maybe just getting started with um, using uh, CloudTrail to uh, get some value out of it. So that's that's the spiel. Um, yeah. No, it's useful. I mean, I, I, you know, I've done a few talks where I walk through setting up like CloudWatch and using Config and then CloudTrail and then tying it all together and then using Splunk and just like different sources and like the 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 thing that you you touched on is that there's no coherent approach, one coherent approach. There's no like um, to do alerting, to do to run these queries. It's 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 not. It's like very custom on a for as many for as many customers that are using AWS as there are. It seems odd that it is so pieced together and customized per user. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah uh, I I think that uh, you know AWS is you know they're releasing new stuff every day. Uh, it feels like, but there's still so many gaps. Uh, to re oh, did we lose Alex? I don't know. Oh, I think we lost him again. Yeah, I mean, what what he's you know what he's talking about though is is like I always find it pretty interesting that it, there are definitely gaps, right? I mean, AWS is moving so quickly. Just while oh. we wait for him. Oh, there oh, you go, Alex. You're back now. So we lost you where you said there are gaps. Yeah, uh, so I think that there's, uh, you know, to me, it's um, a great opportunity to uh, not have to worry about so much of the the infrastructure that you need to build, uh, you know, amazing products. Um, but you also can't, you know, if if you just tell, uh, you know, people who are engineers and who are working operations to just like go to the AWS console and like figure it out. I feel like, I feel like they're going to not be super happy with you. I think that, um, you know, kind of smoothing out the corners and, you know, optimizing, uh, the sort of control planes that people interact with, um, to, to work sort of well with what your organization does. Um, you know, to me, like that's, that's, I think, why um, you know a lot of the the things I've been working on lately around security have been less focused on like you know sort of identifying problems in application code and more about building infrastructure tooling that uh, engineers use to sort of get these like force multipliers in security, where like you build this tool that um, you know engineers can use to uh, you know, have have better security insight. Um, you know, to to automatically have least privilege. Um, you know, it's it's sort of going deeper into the framework. You know, going to a deeper level. Uh, you know, I think that's that's a, an area for opportunity right now. So, yeah, and it's really it is very interesting to actually look at different organizations and their maturity level. 
based on their infrastructure tooling, right? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of big operations that you walk into, you can tell how seriously they take security and development in general by how reactive they are to problems, right? When you report a security bug, what happens? Uh, especially if it's critical, does you know everything come to a screeching halt, or do they have a process to actually handle that? Do they do they know where their logs are? Number one, do they know what's being logged? Who's accessing their AWS account? Right, that's you know all of those things. Like the tools like you're writing here, like CloudTrail, definitely make it easier for someone to approach that because it is very difficult, right? Um, all of us you know had that first time that you looked at the Amazon AWS console. And just went, holy crap! What what am I supposed to do in here, right? And I, yeah, I can't imagine what you know somebody like a developer that you know only works on you know Java Spring code all day long, and they tell them to go into AWS, what they're going to do with that? Yeah, right? and I think that you want to, you know, one of the one of the great things about all these tools is that people can go out and build quickly and and you know they have all these like fantastic resources at their fingertips to spin up you know you know uh, huge data stores and to you know have gpu instances optimized for all these different tasks and you know lambdas and, and like all these different tools that they can use um, and i think that it's our responsibility uh, as as people who want to uh, you know enable secure development to not necessarily shy away from slowing them or not shy away from these challenges by trying to slow them down and say you can't use this you can't use that but instead to like make sure that we have the appropriate insights uh, that we have the appropriate controls uh, to make sure that these things are being used safely so you know I, I think it's 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 one of the things that is tremendously challenging about security but it's also uh, you know sort of uh, very satisfying is that like you know you're you're constantly being moved forward by technology um, you know, if you're working in an organization that cares about using the latest greatest, then you yourself have to care about that and understand it in order to to be relevant and, uh, you know, sort of uh, meet people where they're at in terms of addressing security challenges. I mean, I'm definitely seeing more application security centric background type folks get AWS certifications, be involved with AWS more. Um, it, it's interesting that you know, a primarily code. Well, you know, infrastructure is code. So um, nowadays with something like AWS, so it is interesting to see uh, that shift. I mean, is it because is it, I know you you have a security team and an infrastructure team. Is that sort of your uh, introduction to AWS is leading and managing and uh, managing those teams and then working with this uh, product stack? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I'd run some stuff personally, but uh, it, it's not like I am, uh, you know, uh, sort of, I guess, a fanboy or for lack of a better term, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I think that there's like other uh, cloud services that have a lot to offer. And like, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of amazing work going on in the Kubernetes community right now. And like, you know, Azure has a lot of cool stuff that they've, built and uh, Microsoft plug. I mean, <laughs> I, I used to be a, 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 a what was it called? The, you know, sort MVP, uh, Microsoft MVP. Uh, you know, I was teaching ASP.NET security classes and I'd go to Blue Hat and 
you know, I, I had, I, for, for, for some amount of time, I, I knew a lot about .NET security and, um, you know, it, it was, it was very interesting to me. And, and I think that, you know, because, uh, what's, what's fascinating to me is, is, is again, the real world, what are people using, uh, you know, where, where, where do people need help? Um, and, you know, whereas a lot of ASP.NET websites were being built in, you know, 2007, um, uh, you know, these days there's just a tremendous amount of uh, people who are, you know, relying on AWS, and 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 um, so that's I think why I find it uh, fascinating um, to to kind of think about those security problems uh, that come with using it, and and um, you know, there's other people out there who are doing great work, uh, and you know, um, you know, I hope to just kind of be another voice in the conversation. Well, yeah, you, I mean, it's funny you say that because well, the as far as .NET and all that, about 2007, 2010, that was like, if you had that sort of certification, that sort of background, you're golden. Like that was, I mean, obviously a .NET still used, right? But that was the golden era of like having that background and being an AppSec. That was a pretty sweet little uh, uh, deal you had going there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I don't, uh, necessarily uh, have to have to remember all of the you know intricacies of the you know web forums and MBC and all that stuff, but uh, you know yeah, there's clearly still a lot of things being built um, with with Microsoft development tooling and and uh, yeah, it's it's um, I think it's just you know for me uh, it's sort of like a relic of my consulting days, right? Like you 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 learn. And uh, but you're, you you try to remain flexible, and uh, I think that um, you know right now what's what's really fascinating me, yeah, is is just uh, you know the challenges that that AWS uh, and and sort of seeing AWS uh, organizational controls uh, entail. Well, we like I had said in the beginning of uh, of this before we started the podcast, and like we always say, an hour goes by real quick. So we've chewed up so much. We, we've already gone through so much time, and uh, I definitely know that we wanted to. Ha if you, you know, have you just kind of explain the web auth and spec because you know we 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 want somebody who's at least toyed with it a little bit to to explain it to folks, and um, just give uh, your your thoughts on on it. But you know, any benefits you see and and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, we're picking your brain. Uh, yeah, sure. I, um, you know, I, I is kind of like a disclaimer, um, you know, WebAuth N is a, uh, standard, an emerging standard that, uh, you know, I haven't necessarily read in detail. Um, uh, it's just something that caught my interest and I spent a few weekends, uh, playing around to see if I could get it to work on my computer. Uh, and I was able to, um, and I thought it was really cool and I, you know, want to kind of um, hype it, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, if you think about uh, sort of the evolution of authentication evidence online, um, people uh, are pretty used to the idea that you would have a password. Um, people are pretty used to the idea that you might be able to reset that password through your email. Um, using a link with the token that's in your email. Um, you may be familiar with 
uh, you know, the ability to either reset your password or to do a two-factor authentication with a code that's sent to your SMS. Um, and you know, you may have seen uh, other forms of authentication, things like you know something in a native uh, app on your smartphone that allow you to kind of verify an authenticated session through your native app. Um, things like uh, U2F, which uh, you know is like a, a hardware token that allows you to um, verify your identity. And WebAuthn builds off of uh, U2F, and it's sort of like the next generation. And um, there's a ton that I don't understand about it, the intricacies of the protocol and things like that. But what I do understand about it, I think, is the benefits over the existing U2F solution. So um, U2F is uh, awesome for a couple reasons over like just a traditional SMS-based authentication because um, it uses uh, these uh, hardware tokens that are, you know, sort of keep the private key uh, on the token, so the private key never leaves the token. And they're also registered in a way where when you pulse them, like the authentication evidence can only go to that site, so they protect you against phishing as well, which is a big problem with two-factor. If a site just asks you to enter a code, like someone could be playing man in the middle, right? But uh, U2F device, devices help protect against that. So um, the web authn spec allows you to actually, um, a, a couple things that I'm aware of. One, it allows you to use these hardware tokens without having to necessarily have a username or password. Um, so you can imagine you go to a site and you pulse your key and it automatically logs you in. Now, that said, you, you can imagine all, you know, what happens if someone steals it, things like that. But again, it's just a way, you know, when you start to work with authentication, you start to sort of see these, rather than seeing like, oh, you know, like there's one true way to do authentication, you know, you should have two factor with this and that. It's like, no, actually what makes sense is like you have all these different forms of authentication evidence and then contextually, you know, the site decides what risk level you're at and sort of asks you to provide one of those types of evidence. And the more flexibility you have in the way that you provide that evidence, sort of the more, um, you know, power you have to design experiences that align with people's expectation, that lower friction. Um, and, and so it, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, also, uh, there's the ability to not necessarily just use hardware tokens, but to also have uh, things that work like on native uh, apps on your phone. So um, making that uh, idea of, of not just necessarily using SMS-based authentication, but having you know, cryptographic material that's on your phone that uh, allows you to assert your identity um, is part of the spec as well. And so uh, it's an emerging standard. Last I checked when I um, was uh, working on it, it's supported in Firefox Nightly and Chrome Canary. Um, you can go to webauthn.io to try it out if you have a U2F device, like a YubiKey. Um, and yeah, it's awesome. I love the I love the uh, the 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 piece that you I love the description about authentication that you you described there because it is typically I think in a very basic sense thought of as you're either authenticated you've either provided us legitimate credentials or not and you're right in the, I think it's, it's a very, it's a very accurate description to say now 
we look at authentication more as, um, like you said, several different things being provided, uh, context, um, and then deciding, you know, like the, the legitimacy of your, your access from, from there. I, I really, I think that that, that is something that if nothing else to take away from, uh, like these conversations we've been having over the last few episodes about authentication, that's a really nice thing to take away from that. So, and thank you for describing your, uh, you're messing with web cause you've, you've done more with web than either Seth or I, so you've at least yeah. got it running on your machine. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, common in the future because again, I think it's it's really promising. Yeah. So I, I mean, so at that point, just to dig in a little bit, so WebAuthn itself, you're authenticating basically kind of to your browser. Is that the case? And then the browser is presenting that, or how does that actually happen? Or what what is the identity provider there? Yeah. So it's um, like it's basically a a uh, from what I understand, it's like a browser standard. Right, and it's a way of a browser to sort of um, pass authentication evidence off to a site. Okay. So there's like so a, the browser is kind browser of why pattern for like saying please pulse your key and and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I I think honestly what it comes down to is I just bought a bunch of Yubi keys and I'm like I want to like get my money's worth, you know, and like they they do some things uh, well, but like I'm always hoping that, you know, it's the dream, right? Like I would love to be able to rely on them for more and more authentication tasks, to be able to, you know, SSH with them, to be able to do standard TOTP based 2FA with them. Like, and I've been trying to get a lot of this stuff to work. A lot of it is very sort of, uh, uh, unsatisfying in terms of the end experience, but web authent, I think, is the real deal. Okay. No, it, yeah, it'd be interesting to play with. I, you know, but where it is so emerging right now, you know, I can't see myself necessarily trusting using or passing out Firefox's nightly build to people um, just so they can use their YubiKey, right? That's that becomes a, you know, a supportability question. And, you know, as we were talking about you know, the usability of security, right? The way that we can make it easier for users and developers to use. Um, it's difficult to, you know, to, to push something until it's it's been adopted kind of across the board. So it's yeah. very, I think it's very promising, you know, and it's, especially considering all the challenges we have with authentication right now. Um, there's just like, I think a lot of excitement and hype kind of a, around this spec. So yeah, yeah and I think that like, in general, the uh, the the problem with getting any new authentication technology out there is that it's not a unilateral decision. There's multiple types of groups that all need to kind of coalesce at the same time. And so you have, you know, browser makers, and you know, you need to have sites that accept this type of authentication, and then you need to have, you know, people who are willing to go and buy these tokens. And, and so, you know, if it were just a single, you know, if it was just the, the Chrome team that said, we're going to do this now, like we would have done it 10 years ago and passwords would have been a thing at the past. But like you have so many different groups that all need to kind of come together at the same time. And, you know, all it takes is one of them to not adopt and the technology never happens. I've yeah. heard that, that it's, that it's the, the, the hardest thing with specs is just dealing with, because you have corporate interests, which always cloud anything, right? When it comes to building protocols, 
you know, uh, this company, company A and B might be totally on board and then company C is, you know, like, uh, it's not in their best interest or they just want to develop their own version of it. That's their own proprietary thing. So they sit there and listen <coughs> to the meetings. Oh, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't gonna call them out, but you know, yes. Um, uh, <laughs> So yeah, they sit there. They are one of the the holdouts from from WebAuthn, and and uh, you know there there's uh, from my understanding, and again, I'm not deeply involved in the the standards process. I'm not on the mailing list, but like from my quick reading, it appears that like you know Chrome and Firefox and and even Edge and it uh, is are are all sort of like building this out in their release trains, but like Safari is kind of notably uh, absent and. Um, We'll we'll see how it goes. I I am I am I'm cautiously optimistic that we're gonna find something that you know at least at a corporate level. Like I would be very happy to issue YubiKeys to everyone here at Clever and and be able to use them more frequently. But right now, like uh, there's just you know very limited use cases uh, for them, and 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 I think that uh, you know hopefully over time um, you know we're we're able to find better. Uh, protocols that uh, allow us to sort of achieve more of the things we want to uh, achieve. Awesome. Well, yeah. so I was gonna, I was going to ask, you know, um, since we're hitting a, a, about an hour here, um, one thing we always like to ask is, hey, do you, are you speaking anywhere? Is there anywhere that you know, even a meetup, whatever, that people can um, come and talk to you or see you speak? Um, do you have anything coming up that you'd like to talk about? Uh. I, I don't. Uh, Loco Mocosec was kind of a, uh, you know, sort of coming back from retirement type thing for me for speaking about security. I haven't spoken about it for a long time. Um, apparently, they're already uh, planning for next year. And I'm going to, you know, uh, beg uh, Jim and Neil to, to have me back. Uh, maybe talk about, uh, I don't know, like, uh, you know, look who's talking to and how it relates to firewalls or something. I'm not sure. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, I would say Loco Moco Sec 2019 is probably the, the best shot at uh, me uh, talking about security in the near future. So, Awesome. Awesome. Seth, did you have any uh, anything else that you wanted to uh, ask or mention? Yeah. No, I mean, we didn't necessarily dig into kind of your... Uh, you know, like your tool selection, right? You know, when it comes to security tooling, what is it that, you know, you look for or you use personally that you find useful? Um, yeah, uh, so I can talk about like um, some of the security products that I like. Uh, Let's go with that. Yeah, that works. Um, I think 1Password uh, is a, a really, it's, it's a product I like. Um, actually got to meet uh, the founder of 1Password at LocoMocoSec, which was really cool because I was actually just complaining about 1Password you know, to like, the team, and then I realized that he was the founder, and I felt a little bit guilty. But uh, you know, it, I, I remember you coming up and saying that, by the way. I remember you actually get the conference, you mentioning, you're like, yeah, I was complaining, and like he's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he was like super cool about it, and, and um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's a company that... Um, you know, is, is thoughtful about how, you know, users interact with, with passwords and, and, and tries to present a, a sort of user first experience. 
So I think one password and, and all the stuff that they're coming out with with one password for teams and, and stuff like that is awesome. And I think like if I was, you know, at a startup and like the first dollar I spent on security would probably be on something like that. Um, I think that uh, there's like a lot of the like objective C tools, uh, SEE, like for Mac. So like the knock knock and block block and um, they, they build a lot of these like very sort of like basic, but also very powerful anti-malware tools for Mac. Um, I think OS Query and the whole ecosystem that's growing up around that is awesome. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, it's just really cool to see. Um, I know I'm forgetting stuff. Uh, I saw somebody on Twitter say, I didn't really understand the context. I, I mean... So this probably means nothing to you or me. Uh, they said something like, uh, repeat after me, OS query is not a security tool, which I didn't understand because, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a, it's a way to effectively query and, and log significant, important security data. So I wasn't sure, like, I mean, maybe I have got that wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I my, you know, people like to say provocative stuff. Uh, I, I think that wait, it, wait, on uh, Twitter, <laughs> what Twitter are you on? No. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, maybe, maybe sometimes people overstate, uh, their, their point, but, um, you know, OS query is, is, is a, a tool that, that gives you insight into, uh, sort of, uh, what's going on, 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 on your computer. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I'd imagine you say it's not a security tool is because it actually like at least the like the default version of it doesn't actually like block anything it just gives you insight into what's running um so you know to me like i guess what one of the things that i i really hate about security products or, or like really rubs me the wrong way about security products is when they're very vague about like what threats they protect against and how they protect against them and the thing i like about os query is that it is something that you know you you get full insight into exactly what you're looking at and you can sort of uh, start from from ground principles about like this is what I the behavior I want to you know enforce and here's how I'm going to enforce it and you know it, it's very there's very little magic there's very little like you know secret like trust us we're going to use AI to you know none of that and um, so yeah that's why I think that's a really cool Cool. I also think that there's um, good stuff coming out in like the MDM uh, community, things like Fleetsmith that like make it easier to um, get, you know, sort of insight and control over uh, assets and organization. Um, and I'm just playing around right now with AWS's WAF, uh, which I like used to talk mad shit about WAFs. I think. <laughs> application security community did. Um, but, you know, I think that, like, as soon as you introduce the idea of, like, saying, okay, well, like, this is an architectural component that you can code against and, like, develop your own custom rules and things like that, it, it, it's, it's a very powerful, uh, uh, yeah, piece of software. So um, those are some of the things that, that come off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's others. Did you say AWS is WAF? Yeah. Have you, uh, have you tried SQL Sciences at all? Oh, uh, no, curious. I have not. I have not. I've only seen, um, I've only seen, uh, uh, demos. So I was just curious if anybody, if anybody comes on and they have that experience, I'd, I'd be curious to ask what their experience was. So cool. 
It's just right. so AWS WAF is pretty. So when you say code against it, are you saying, um, or is code up rule? So you, uh, I haven't looked at the AWS WAF. Do you code your own rules and then just plug that into AW, the AWS WAF? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. So like you can you can define your own rules. So like let's say you wanted to implement uh, an IP blacklist, right? Um, you know, maybe on a traditional WAF, you'd like type in the IPs that you wanted to blacklist somewhere in some console. Maybe even there's some like awesome machine learning thing that they have to learn which IPs are bad and automatically block them. But like AWS WAF, like they have like a cloud formation template that you can deploy that will automatically read your LB logs, see all the IPs, you can define the rate at which you want to blacklist an IP. And then, you know, in a Lambda, it will automatically append that to the AWS WAF rule. And it's it's just something that, like, you know, uh, is, is very much like a Lego in a Lego world, uh, which to me uh, makes it much more uh, useful than something that you kind of have to uh, treat as, um, you know, a, a, a separate software component to manage the operations of. Yeah, which then usually means that you've got to have some some operational component of your company helping to get it integrated, and um, that becomes overhead for more than just your team. And uh, yeah, that and yeah, that's it's. It, I, I can see why that's nice that it's just there. It's just something you can plug in, and it doesn't it doesn't take a ton to to introduce it. I could totally see. The, the benefit of that. So that's cool. Yeah. Plus now we're PCI compliant, right? <laughs> now you've checked that's, that box. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and Ken Toller mentioned earlier on the compliance front that uh, in the chat that um, that compliance mentions or compliance requires SAST and DAST, but there's no mention of uh, support staff. There's no mention of staff um, required to, you know, sort of review those results and manage the tools and whatnot so just an interesting compliance thing yeah i think yeah, well, that goes back. Yeah. all right go ahead <laughs> no i was gonna say i was gonna say that goes back to kind of the, the other tooling that you were talking about building alex is the you know the maturity level of the organization and how easy it is to actually do some of that um it make you know it's better for a team if they can but compliance has never been security right what were you gonna say yeah i was just gonna say that like um, you know, I, I, I think it, one of the really difficult things is, uh, you know, it's, it's hard enough to say things about your own security, uh, having to like figure out how to have other people attest their security is just, you know, it, like, I, I feel sorry for the people who, are, who have to think about this stuff all day and, 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 and really are trying to, to sort of create meaningful systems where, you know, uh, you can have insight about other people's security. And, and um, you know, it's something that we start to see the challenge here at Clever with like, um, you know, like, hey, we want to use a new vendor. Like, how do we know whether or not they meet our security requirements? Or, you know, we want people to, you know, onboard with this application. And I, I just think that, you know, it's one of those things that seems easy at first. You're like, oh, like, we'll just read their privacy policy, or maybe we have a security questionnaire, you know, maybe we'll check if they're PCI compliant or if they're, you know, SOC 2 or whatever, all these different things. But I think, you know, just in reality, like at a conceptual level, that problem is so much more difficult to solve than 
in your organization are secure. Um, just the information asymmetry that exists in our organizations, uh, it's, it's such a challenge for us. Yeah, and that, I mean, that goes across the board. It's not any one organization. Everybody's trying to figure out how to ascertain risk of third parties and fourth parties. And it's it's a huge problem for sure. But there's no and there's no good way to do that, right? And then it's like it falls into all the different silos, right? We, I mean, we're very specific on application security. Um, but, you know, as, as soon as you step outside that box, you know, just because they're doing app security well doesn't mean that they're doing infrastructure or network security like they should, right? Yeah, it's a tough job. Tough, tough job. That's why we're not in compliance, right? I guess. I don't know. No, we're not. I'm not in compliance because uh, that's um, too much reading. Now what? <laughs> it's too, too many standards. Too many standards. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow those rules. No, but um, yeah, compliance is what it is. It, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't think we have to get off on that tangent. It has no, we, we don't necessarily. Yeah. Alex though. I, I mean, it's been great having you on, man. Uh, you know, we've been going for over an hour at this point. Um, you know, is, is there any, any fi final thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with people? Um, or recommendations for getting into the industry, anything like, along those lines? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I just want to, you know, always uh, sort of uh, represent my bias, which is uh, towards users and understanding that not everyone thinks about security the same way we do, and that the more we can recognize our bias as security practitioners and um, try to design things that work for everyday people who just want to live their lives, the better off we'll all be. Um, and uh, yeah, that's I, I just I, I, I strongly believe that, and I, I want to I want to sort of preach it to other people. Good. We'll, we'll throw that up as the tagline for the episode then, right? You know, <laughs> think about securities or not everyone thinks about security like you do. Yeah. I mean, we, we should all know that at this point, right? You know, the amount of questions that I get about printers versus security, right? You know, from, from the non-security folks is pretty high. So, Yeah, you still get people who work in security who uh, will, uh, you know, say that anything you do that isn't, you know, up to their very high standards is uh you know a waste of time and you're destroying the world and you know so i just i i want to make sure that we always ha have that perspective oh yeah there should always be some balance and then you know be realistic but uh yeah thank you again for coming on um seth uh before we jump off i did want to mention to the viewers that uh for those that i had addresses for uh, well, I shouldn't say I'm not claiming any credit. My wife went and dealt with the the U USPS, the post office. She got those things mailed out. So big credit to her. Um, I know uh, the next thing on our list is to, to we were talking about designing some T-shirts and stuff like that. Um, so uh, let's see what uh, in terms of uh, uh, next week, let's see, we're back. So we are, we are, uh, so next week's, next Tuesday, we will, we will have an episode. Uh, Jimmy Mesta will be joining us. Alex, you know, Jimmy, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, uh, on the other side of the screen for that one. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he, last time we had him on, he got hammered with uh, questions about uh, Kubernetes and container security. So we expect, like, it was so much that we kind of just had to like end the episode and say we're going to do this again because it was it was really. Um, I guess Kubernetes and container security is just something that people are right now. Just it's one of those things that people are just a little uncertain of, and like what product to use and what route to go. So, um, I, for whatever reason, that's a that's a uh, I guess a big topic on people's minds. Anyways, hashtag trending. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a trending thing, a trendy thing right now. Yeah. Um, but was there anything else, Seth, that you wanted to mention? No, um, I do know that the um, registration for AppSec USA 2018 in September is up. Ken and I are giving a training on code reviews, um, how we conduct, how to conduct a secure code review. You know the approach that we use. So if anybody's interested, hit us up or you know visit the AppSec USA site. Um, otherwise, man, uh, yeah, Alex, it's been great talking to you. Um, yeah, don't go anywhere. Sure. We're, de- we're yeah, don't go anywhere quite yet. Stay on. We'll end the podcast, but stay on. We just uh, chat with you for a second after uh, to thank you and all that. So, uh, yeah, Seth, uh, anything else? Nope, not from my end. Uh, thanks everybody for listening today or listening whenever you happen to get a hold of the podcast. Um, we'll talk to you all next week. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Alex. <laughs>